Let's put to uh, some of the songs. And um, Rory, this does not mean I don't love piano. I want to make that clear. Um, but um, I've been so excited as uh, Jacob uh, told me he was picking up bench. I think it was about a year ago now. Yeah, I, and when he first mentioned I said, one day you got to play at church. I said it would be uh, wonderful, so I'm so glad that, that he did. The song that he, uh, the second one he played was uh, at Andrew's grandmother's funeral, Grandma May, and that song was sung by his sister, and it was a very special song, and then... The first one that Rory learned to play in a matter of six days, congratulations, that he learned uh, to do is actually my most favorite modern song, um, uh, absolutely the best, and that was played at Anna and uh, Andrew's uh, wedding. Oh, did? Okay. <laughs> well, that'll, that'll explain that. So, um, well, sh thank you for being here on this warm day, and... Um, why don't we pray? Our Father God, we hope you find our singing and our learning and all that we do here, Lord, because there is really one thing that we're hoping is that it brings you glory. And we thank you for the ongoing, consistent preaching we have here at this church which is designed to glorify you. We thank you for those faithful ones who come on Sunday evening, uh, particularly on a day like uh, today. And Father God, we know that that means that you will continue to um, give us blessings. We know, Father God, that um, we all need to work on the obedience side. And we would just ask, Father God, that the Holy Spirit will be with each person here wherever they happen to be, whatever level they happen to be, that you will help them to learn to do more of your will. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I, I am going to tell you, although I think you all probably already know this, Roman is a teacher who has mercy, and he lets you out early today. Um, I don't have mercy. As a matter of fact, I like it when everybody is really hot and warm because near the end, I'm coming right to the uh, altar call, and uh, I like it when you're hot out there so I can hopefully have everything working in favor. But, uh, you know, as we think about what we're going to be talking about today, I really have uh, appreciated going through 1 Timothy, and I will admit that when I talked to Roman about going through 1 Timothy, he goes, oh, Okay. Um, and he just kind of stared at me. So I said, well, you know what? We've done 2 Timothy because we did that last year. And I said, 1 Timothy goes over a whole lot on the church. And I'm going to confess something to you. I've needed to mature on how I view the church. Roman would never tell you that I did, but he knows I do. And it has been very good for me to dig into um, what the church is, who we are, why we meet, uh, what our responsibilities are, and the responsibilities of everybody. And today, which we're going to be talking about quality uh, servants overcoming false teaching, really is going to be talking about the minister, but I'm going to take a little liberty, and while we are going to cover that of the minister, I'm going to also kind of talk about what our responsibilities are when it comes to that. So without further ado, we'll get to it because there is quite a bit to, to cover. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever done any kind of teaching at all, but we had two weeks to prepare instead of one. And what that means is, is that that means I at least rewrote it three times. Because uh, what happens is you start thinking about, well, let's see what we may be able to improve upon and do. And uh, so I'm not sure if this is the worst one I did format or if you liked if you didn't like this one you sure heard the other two they're really good so but a few weeks ago we addressed the church the responsibilities of elders and deacons along with every believer's obligation and our obligation is to be well grounded in God's truth and dedicated to ongoing obedience to his word and a lot of churches 
just because I'm old, I've been to a lot of churches. A lot of time, uh, truth and obedience to his word was not necessarily one of the very main goals of the church. But I'm happy to tell you we have that here. Um, this evening, we're going to drop in on Paul, who's beginning to clearly explain to Timothy and Ephesus Church a roadmap for the church. Remember, everything that we've been studying on Sunday evenings has all come from one letter. And so really that letter, you have to keep on context that that was one letter to be read all the way through so the thoughts were fluid. When you do something like this, it messes it up because when we go week to week, we aren't carrying that fluid thought as well as I'd like it to be. I've done a little more, you've probably noticed, a little more review, but I'm not going to do much of it tonight because I thought if I did that again, you'd probably turn up the heat and point that thing to me. So didn't want to do that. But then they would take the letters that were written, and then they'd break it into pieces, and they'd use it where they needed it, not unlike what we do. For instance, if, if we were uh, talking about putting somebody in a deacon role, we would turn to the specific places we know in the Bible. We'd dig into them. They used to do some of the, the very same things. And really, they had a church organization, but it's being totally revamped. Being totally revamped because of poor leadership, and frankly, Timothy uh, kind of allowed some things to happen that shouldn't have. The portion of scripture we, we last visited two weeks ago, take, this is going to take a unique twist where we're going tonight. If you would please, just put in your mind a checklist of what a pastor elder should carefully and earnestly refer to and tend to. So we're going to take the scripture, but we're going to put it into a um, checklist of 10 things. Our study this evening isn't suggesting that we as Christians are to use this teaching and be on a church leader witch hunt. But understand that being encouragers and supporters which leaders are focused biblically to carry out on their responsibilities. The reason why I say that is I have been in churches where they would find something they didn't like the way the pastor maybe brushed his teeth or didn't brush his hair. And sometimes the simplest things all of a sudden became big problems. It's not what we're talking about here tonight. Um, and also we're going to talk about what's our responsibility to help our leaders stay on track. Not so that we can say, aha, gotcha. It's a wonderful blessing when church has faithful spiritual leadership. If you've run into where that hasn't been the case, you know what I'm talking about. Let's go ahead and discover Paul's checklist of 10 areas on an excellent minister or an elder, and in many cases, each of us, so we can be bonded together and going in the right direction. Now, keep in mind, when we're talking about the elders, I added a little bit to that. I said, yes, this is uh, the requirements of an elder. It also is the requirement of each and every um, believer, by the way, every mature believer, except for the teaching part. I think the teaching part, I could say, we're not all to be teachers, but we are to be orators and we are to be witnessing. Or in other words, here are the noble qualities that Paul lays out for Timothy, the church leaders and Christians to live by. Once we identify the list, which we'll do right now, we'll discuss each with a little more detail. Let's title this list, Servants of Excellence Towards Our Lord Jesus Christ, which we get, by the way, from verse 6. Now, Andy is gone. He's my official reader. So I panicked, and I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll put it in ways we'll do it. We're going to cover this scripture as we go through instead of one long reading. You'll see why in a minute. I would have done that even if Andy was here for this week. It just worked out that way. And Andy is, um, we'll be back in another week after next week. But here are the, here's the things. If you're a list taker or you just like to kind of organize them, this is what we're going to be talking about. Also out of the verse 6 is a hungry student of Scripture. A minister is to be a hungry student of Scripture. And so are you and I. Number two, withdraws the influence of unholy teaching, verse 7. It's the responsibility of uh, the minister. Uh, I'm still going to use the word minister quite a bit because it's used in this text, but in our case, pastor and elders. Um, number three, discipline self 
toward Christ-likeness. It's out of verse 7. Number four, fully committed to hard work of the ministry, verses 8 through 10. Number five, teaches and speaks with authority. That authority doesn't come to somebody who has a loud, booming voice like I can have. That authority has to come from where? God's word. Number six, lives his life as an example for others. Verse 12. Number seven, has a profound biblical ministry. Verse 13. Number eight, accomplishes his calling to the fullest. Verse 14. Number nine, totally absorbed in his work. Verse 15. And finally, a spiritual growth that is progressing Verse 16. Now, before I get to that one, I do want to say one quick thing about this. Sometimes we expect pastors, ministers to be ultra mature and ultra right. The reality is, a pastor is a saved sinner. A pastor is growing just like we all are. And so, as we look at the responsibilities, we have a responsibility. How's this? We're turning it around. Towards Roman and anybody in the future who becomes an elder here. It is our responsibility to support them and to help make that happen. Not to be a roadblock and not to cause problems for them. Now, you imagine if I just read Ten Commandments and tried to stuff everything in one sermon, that's kind of where we're sitting right now. I've given you ten things. that We could have done one of those a night. But... So bear with me here. Have a little grace my way on these two. So I'm going to put it in a summary-like format, a little different than a typical um, sermon might be, but again, it's going to go down the list of ten things, and now we're going to fill in the blanks there. So overall, as I mentioned before, servants of excellence towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Those of us who are believers ought to settle for nothing less than excellence and what we are doing for, for our Lord what the Holy Spirit leads us to do. And by the way, when we don't feel like it, doesn't matter. We're still to be excellent. We'll talk a little bit about what excellent is as we get further into it. But whenever we put Jesus Christ in the same sentence with excellence, we know it's serious. And we know it takes a lot of work to make that happen. The following 10 Minister categories fit into two categories. You know those 10 I mentioned? Keep this in mind. We'll repeat each one of these as we're going through. We're either talking about personal holiness or we're talking about public instruction. This is going to be the areas we're going to be looking at. Yes, it makes sense to first think of Roman or maybe uh, other teachers and only get uh, elders to think that way, but as you can see, I'm not going to let you get off that easy. I'm going to talk about what our responsibility in each of those areas, both in our life and also in support of the church leaders. So when you hear the numbers, and I'm doing this on purpose, when I say something like one of ten or two of ten, what that's talking about is those points we just talked about, those ten that we listed. All right. And the reason why I did that is because there's going to be a few others one, two, three, four points that are going to be mentioned. I'm just trying to make it easy, particularly if you're somebody who likes organization. So one of ten, a hungry student of Scripture. Verse 6, if you put these things before thee, brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. That's our first verse and what we're covering here. First Timothy 4, 6. You should be able to have your Bible open and be able to just follow each one of these verses. That's where we're getting our, our um, areas we're covering. God, God's word lays out the true criteria and establishes the litmus test for how a man of God is to be evaluated or rated. But remember, we aren't to be looking for perfection. And I think that's where a lot of um, churchgoers like me and you get into trouble. We expect our pastors, we expect our elders to be perfect. Well, Roman's pretty good, but he's not perfect. 
and I think we have to remember mercy and grace that the Lord gives us is in turn how we're to have towards our leaders. In this evening's text, Paul lays out how to evaluate ministers or perhaps Christian leaders. Paul is instructing Timothy to take the issues that have been covered so far and all that we've covered in 1 Timothy. Remember, this is a whole book, what we've covered up to this point, and deliberately lead the church more effectively. Timothy had been improperly tolerating the false teaching and the blasphemous gospel lies of Christ's ineffective work on the cross. This is serious. Paul's been incredibly graceful up to this point. Not anymore. Paul's turning up the heat. Like the way I use that? Turning up the heat. And saying, you know, there's some serious problems here, Timothy. And he's almost saying, Timothy, a lot of this is your fault with poor leadership. Timothy needed to stop put a stop to the false teaching and wipe up the mess that illegitimate teaching had left in the lives of his people. This is a nightmare for any pastor or minister. If there, what's really worse about this, this isn't like this was a Sunday evening session like we do, that quite frankly, Roman could easily manage something if I went off on some harebrained idea. That's not what was happening here. This is teaching that was going on in the church to the crowds, probably in home studies under the name of the church that was really, quite frankly, it was quite blasphemous, and it was ongoing. So things had gotten worse, and now a more aggressive leadership approach was necessary. If a leader does not deal with it immediately, it becomes a much bigger problem to deal with later because what happens is the weaker believers stumble at false teaching. You can think about just about any cult that you'll see, at least this is what I thought, it always surprised me how many came out of Catholicism that ended up in, say, like a Jehovah Witness and other cults because they really don't know the Bible well, many don't. And number two, their teaching sounded kind of right. And that's what was going on here. Paul reinforces that these actions need to be taken so that Ephesus church is within, get this, Jesus' will. They were falling outside of Jesus' will. Timothy, why do you need to clean up this mess? Because it's Jesus' will you clean up this mess. And when you don't do it, you're not taking care of your responsibility. And this is what he was really saying. This is Paul speaking. I'm paraphrasing just a bit. Timothy, by following Paul's instruction, our Lord will consider you his good and faithful minister. That's what the verse said. So he's encouraging him, but he is also taking him out to the woodshed at the same time. Here we have an encouragement and a hard school lesson where Timothy's lack of leadership required a diligent follow-through. Before we get too harsh on Timothy's tumbles, we should recall how many times... We have known truth, but yet we have gone in the exact opposite direction. Let me rephrase that. None of you have done that, but I have found myself there. Knowing truth, but not being committed to fulfill that. Timothy knew the words of faith and good doctrine that were mentioned in our verse. He knew exactly what Paul is talking about. Yet we often miss the mark. Yet let's not miss the point here. We need to be aggressively trained in the truth of the word. Aggressively trained. Why do we need to be aggressively uh, trained? Because we have no idea what the spiritual warfare is we really face. And even when we think we do, we don't. Yet let's, not make, let's make sure that we need leaders and we need to be Lovingly devoted to strong doctrine and solid teaching. With that said, John Owen provides another view to consider about ministers. I thought this was pretty amazing. It's John Owen, um, Puritan. I don't know what you all think about Puritans. I love reading the Puritans. Why? Because when you listen to what they lived and believed, 
they didn't budge from truth of God and they did their very best to be obedient. Not all of them, but many of them. A minister may fill the pews. He may fill his communion roll, the mouths of the public. But what that minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that is he and no more. And I thought, wow. And I wanted to stop at Roman and think, yeah, Roman, I think you ought to be praying a whole lot more. But then our responsibility back is to be believers on our knees to our Lord, praying for this church. And I don't mean praying for this church to get more people here, although it'd be nice to have more people here, but that is not what I'm really talking about. What I'm talking about is, are we being obedient in our living? And by the way, as our buddy John Owen said here, if you don't have a strong prayer life, you're in trouble. We must be consistent prayer warriors to maximize our impact for the Lord inside and outside the church. So consider how the Navigators, that's a group I bring up from time to time. It's a Christian organization. They have a thing on four R's. And on these four, we should be dedicated to this. Number one, reading God's word ought to be habitual. And when we pick it up, it's not, oh, man, I need to read through Leviticus again. No. We are being spoken to by God. And we are to approach it as I'm, a, I'm hearing from God and I'm looking for how I can praise him and how I can be obedient. Those are the things I want to be looking for. Those are the things you want to be looking for. If every one of us in this church did this, it would have an incredible, incredible impact. But that's number one. Number two, reflecting on God's word. Do we reflect on God's word? And I have to tell you, this whole exercise in Sunday evenings has been so good for me in understanding better how to reflect on God's word. Because I know I'm going to be talking to you all. You all have biblical knowledge, so I better be accurate. And so it makes me think a lot more. Roman said something this morning that is so true. He said something like, I've been hit all week on this truth. You remember when he said that this morning? And I thought, I know what you're talking about, Roman. Because what happens when you are really reflecting on God's word, you are starting to get deeper into what God is saying. And then number three, responding to God's word consistently. Oh, good. I read my two chapters for the day. Let me put the checklist on. Get that Bible out of my way. I got to live today. It's not what that's talking about. We are to have a hunger for the word. And we, by the way, ought to be really hungry if we aren't doing it. I'm, this is a Garyism, so don't take it to the bank at least five days a week. I prefer to say daily. But sometimes things happen, whatever, if, if you know, that's acceptable. But it should be a regular habit. We're in God's word. Regular habit is not coming here on Sunday, taking our Bible and blowing the dust off and going where Roman takes us. And so I open my Bible up once a week. Number four, the, in the fourth hour, Resting in God's word. You know, there's so much going on in this world today, and I really thought about this. Isn't it wonderful that as crazy as everything is, craziest I've seen it in my life, as crazy as it is, I just turn to the word. Rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. What a gift. What a privilege that we have. So, reading, reflecting, responding, and resting. If you don't take away anything, take those four things. Try it in the Bible this week. Encourage yourself and your pastor, elders, deacons, and Christian friends by reminding or thanking them for taking the four hours seriously. I can assure you there are days when Roman doesn't have the same gumption as maybe another day just like you. But going to the Bible isn't, I do it when I feel like it. 
I've heard it worded this way, silly, but it's not bad. It's God's daily letter to us. If a letter came in our mailbox and it said, came from Jesus Christ, would you wait till you got back into the house to rip open that envelope? Of course not. And that's what you have with the Bible. Jesus writing to you. So now we move on to number two of the ten, two of the ten that we mentioned. One of them is withdraw the influence of unholy teaching, verse 7. And then number three of the ten, discipline self towards Christ-likeness. And that comes from 1 Timothy 4.7. Boy, I'd have Andy up and down, wouldn't I, if we were doing it this way? Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. 1 Timothy 4.7. You know what I love about Scripture? And we've all heard it. Well, it depends how you interpret it. You know, most of what Paul's written here, the interpretation's very clear. Read what it says. That's what it means. Now, yes, I run into verses that I go, whoa, I'm not so sure I understand it, but not in these areas. They're pretty clear. You know, we spend a fair amount of time addressing the seduction of false teaching and cults, along with the destructive impact on the church and on individuals. Those, these false teachers were in direct contradiction to something that Thomas Watson said. I love this. John the Baptist, Anne pointed it out to me the other day. She's reading this Thomas Watson book, and this is what was in it, simple. John the Baptist first poured the vinegar of the law, then gave men the wine of the gospel so men and women would seek after heaven. Oh, my. Oh, it's so hard to evangelize. I don't know how much you've read about John the Baptist, one of my very favorite characters other than the Lord in the Bible. This guy was not politically correct. He didn't even know how to dress right for the occasion. And he certainly didn't know how to eat right. But the Bible says about him what? The greatest man born of a woman. John the Baptist. And what did he do? He took the Old Testament in his time. He took the Old Testament, laid it out there, nice and quietly. Who warned you? He yells. Love this guy. I'm going to hang out in his tent when I get to heaven. I just want to watch him. Learn from him. Because he loved God so much. He didn't worry about the correct way to evangelize. He used truth. God's word, here's what the law is, and here is the sweet wine of salvation from our Lord Jesus Christ. The false teachers in our text are attempting to undermine the saving gospel, telling people they needed to fulfill the law on their own. Can you imagine what a horrible message to be giving? Then they would possibly be worthy of salvation. So you all better get your act together, better hang around me, I'll be able to get you through this because you won't be able to do it on your own. These guys were heretics. I do know that if there were heretical teaching going on here, one place or another, I'd, I would be much more active than Timothy was in dealing with it. Timothy let that stuff simmer. Timothy could do a lot of things I never could do. This is one that he let simmer. We saw Paul's stern but loving direction for Timothy to deal immediately. At this point, he's saying deal with it now with the false teachers with, here's the key point, scripture truth. This isn't the only time that the early church had false teaching problems. You'll find it in Hebrews 13.9 and then also in uh, 1 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, which we covered actually a couple weeks ago. Paul telling Timothy the same thing that we find in Proverbs 4.2. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When Roman 
teaches us. We are not to forsake his teaching when it's grounded on God's word. As a matter of fact, we disobey God if we don't obey what we learn when it comes from Scripture. So we as believers are to be committed to total obedience. Not obedient when I feel like it. Total. To the Word of God and in constant prayer so we're growing in, guess what? Holiness. Replacing evil with good in all areas of our life. Are you all in a spiritual battle? Yes or no? Well, I feel it all the time. All the time. We are to discipline our lives towards Christ and obey his commandments. One of my very favorite pastors that most of you probably wouldn't like, Paul Washer. If you don't know who Paul Washer is, check him out. Fasten your seatbelt, check him out. Our productivity in the kingdom of God is directly related to our character and our Christ-likeness. Our character, Christ-likeness. None of this fuzzy stuff. Oh, Gary, you're such a great singer. Which you all know is not true. You know, it isn't the things that we value as humans. We are to be obsessed with our character through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are to be obsessed to be like Christ. Nothing less. Remember the word excellence? We are to excel in doing that. So perhaps we all should uh, make a note to reevaluate our character and Christ-likeness. Number four of ten. Fully committed to hard work of the ministry. Here's the verses. First Timothy 4, 8 and 10. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. These words, by the way, are so important. We don't have time to go through them. But every way means something. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For this end we toll and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe, holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. This is really interesting. There are physical and then there are athletical analogies that are to drive home this point. Exercise has some earthly value. However, godliness far outweighs those benefits as they include earthly and eternity consequences. Now, I know you all look at my buff body and you're amazed. You're supposed to say yes, Gary. Yeah, yeah. However, ministers and each of us are to be captivated by exercising our spiritual impact through ministry. And that means we're to be well prepared and ready to serve persistently as he wills. That is accomplished when ministers and us know our particular callings, know our particular callings, and stay faithful in how we spend our time. Back to the navigators. I hope some of you would take this to heart. Take, the navigators take great pain when you're as a disciple to some of the navigators, and they're fanatical on this to identify five areas for establishing one's ministry activities and priorities. What are those? First envelope, if you will, on the one to five, God. What are your priorities with God? Number two, family. What are your priorities with family? Number three, church. What are your priorities with church? Number four, ministry. And number five, other. Five envelopes. Now, you can put them in different areas, by the way. But I am going to tell you, navigators really like church and ministry to be like two and three. I really don't want that for Rome. I want Roman, I want family to be right after God with Roman. Because I have just seen too many men of God that they are taken out of the race 
because they have shambles at home. And so I believe that is a ministry of making sure that your family life is squared away. Same with elders, same with you and I. It's, it's surprising how many times a simple priority process can help you easily identify what's important versus all the urgent things that steal your time away from people and responsibilities. If your priorities and what you have in your, say, your envelope for God and you're remiss at carrying out those because you want to carry out the things in other. They're more fun. This is a great way, and you learn how to say yes or no easier when opportunities come your way to serve. And there is a time to say no. And there is a time we need to guard our leaders here that they're not overworking. Uh, we have an area, in my opinion, the elder, the uh, deacons take a lot of stuff. They, they take a lot of things, and they're filling in a little bit because we don't have a whole elder board. So we need to make sure and support our deacons and, you know, remind them lovingly that their family is a priority. Very important. Number five of ten, teach and speak with authority. 1 Timothy 4.11, command and teach these things. Simple, <laughs> command and teach these things. Paul is telling Timothy to lovingly command his congregation to obedience. Plead with them to obedience for the Lord Jesus Christ through excellence and accurate teaching of God's word. Truth is to be uncompromised and boldly proclaimed from the pulpit and during general interactions with others. Another great Puritan comment. Richard Baxter. Oh my, you want to get deep, read some of Richard Baxter stuff. But he sure puts this clearly. Just a few words. This is what he says to ministers. Screw the truth into men's mind. Can you get that? It's a labor, hard labor. Get it into everyone's mind. Oh, I love it when I hear Roman and it challenges me. I don't sit there and go, that's none of his business. It's fully his business. He's, he's the shepherd here for our souls, for our well-beings. And, by the way, I need to include elders. When we get elders, same thing. To properly obey the commands, teaching requires keeping the following in mind. Number one, a strong commitment to the authority of God's word. That's what we need. Number two, a proper interpretation of scripture. So important. Number three, a concern that the word of God will be upheld and enforced by the church. Number four, a commitment to say what God wants said and not placating to others with irre uh, irrelevant or false conforming rubbish that they may want to hear instead of truth. Plead with our leaders, speak truth. I'll get over it. Hit me with it. Let's encourage our preachers, leaders, and teachers to love us by consistently feeding us and modeling truth in their own life. Number six, and these others go a little bit quicker. And even with that great air conditioner, it is getting warm, isn't it? Remember, if I see you fanning, I won't let you go. Yeah. Number six of ten. Lives his life as an example for others. Verse 12. So, so important. First Timothy 4.12. Listen to these wise words. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Yikes. I mean, I know you're kind of, it's Sunday night, you're kind of tired. Read each one of those and stop after each one. This is a command. This is a command to our leaders. This is a command to Timothy. Paul identifies Timothy as youthful as he is likely in his mid-30s at this time. 
Now, in the Greek culture, youth was considered subordinate to the aged. I got a lot of comfort out of this. But probably 40 plus was considered aged, maybe 50. Business, by today's standards, is infatuated with smart and energetic 20 to 30-year-olds. And the over 50 is many times considered less than ideal. That's why I started my own companies long ago. I didn't have to worry about that. But many churches today have rushed men to eldership and learned to regret that decision. And much, much, uh, much closer uh, nearby from here, I'd say. But I've lived it, experienced it, seen it. All to say that I'm not saying these age groups should be hard and fast rules for eldership. There is no hard and fast rule for that. However, spiritual maturity is certainly needs to be there. What is really being taught in our text was warning Timothy not to allow his behavior to work against accusers of his youth. Leaders and the rest of us are to have controlled speech. Here it comes again. Controlled speech. Our behavior, a wise in Christ, our love pure towards others. Our faith, obviously a controlling influence in our lives and pure in behavior. Each one of these, its own sermon. Each one. What we're calling our leaders to be. What we expect from them. And by the way, we should expect our leaders to call us in these areas if they see a weakness. When leaders have exhibited self-control in these areas, they won't disqualify themselves from leadership. It's not a popularity contest. Their accusers are forced to ultimately be speechless until they turn into critical liars. And we saw that happen with Jesus. In Mark 14, we won't turn there, but they had to make up lies about Jesus. He was perfect. And they had to make up things. Stretch the truth. And when you're in the right church, your church leaders are going to have lies made up about them. Don't go running after them. Go right to the source. If somebody says something about one of the leaders in this church, go to that leader. Don't start sharing it. I once had a very good friend, one of the funniest guys I've ever known. He looked at me with all seriousness. We became Christians at about the same time. At real seriousness, he looked at me and said, Gary, how come when we are unbelievers, right, it was called gossip? And then he said, but now that we're in the church, it's sharing. And I laughed my head off, and then I thought, that's not funny. We justify our sin, even as believers, and we start sharing things that don't need to be shared. We also saw lies about Paul. I won't get into it. They're still going on today. Paul is attacked more than any other figure other than Jesus himself in the Bible. I don't know if you know that, but Paul is just slammed. Encourage our leaders and brothers and sisters and ourselves to strive to personally reflect a daily walk where our behavior silence potential critical liars. Plus, let's allow error on showing our leaders some mercy before jumping to conclusions on them. Never should we have a conversation between ourselves might maybe a husband and wife, maybe, before we get directly to the leader and deal with it first with them. There's an interesting thing. 80 to 90% of the problems will dissipate immediately. Number seven of 10 has a profound biblical ministry. That's what we look for in ministers. First Timothy 4.13 until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And Roman, I loved it this morning we started talking about, we start with Andrew, with, with God's Word. We sing God's Word. Then we have Scripture reading. And then we have teaching, all from God's Word. 
praise God. And I know that's why each of you are here. That's why we come here for that. A true spiritual ministry is built upon the building blocks of God's revelation. And Paul tells Timothy that scripture is to be the foundation for his way of life. Timothy got off the road. Preaching is supported by a passionate commitment of this. Studies, willingness, and obedience. Here's how exhortation is accomplished when reading and proper teaching challenges the listener, me and you, on how and why to apply these same truths. Then the listener also has a responsibility, hang on to your seat here, rebuke, counsel, warning, and comfort, which come together with the conscience resulting in either obedience or disobedience. And by the way, indifference is the same as disobedience. Indifference to God's word is not to be tolerated, should never happen with you, but it will. But that's when we fall on our knees before our Lord, when we're indifferent to truth. It is the immediate slide to the devil's playground. I don't care how mature you are in God's word. But don't you hate it when a verse... Slaps you in the face. James 1, 22 to 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Praise God I got saved when I was 25. I've never forgotten what that's like. Never. And I don't want to. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and preserves, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. What kind of a hearer are you? Where do you fit? Oh, by the way, that really sounds so legalistic, doesn't it? What do we owe our Lord Jesus Christ? And if you come up with anything other than everything, then you need to go reevaluate. He deserves our obedience. He does not deserve our indifference. He does not deserve our disobedience. Number eight of ten accomplishes his calling to the fullest. We're getting there. 1 Timothy 4.14, do not neglect the gift you have, which is given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Timothy, do you remember that day when those elders laid their hands on you? Recognize your gift. You now have a responsibility. And you haven't been doing it. We all need to be Slapped around a little bit sometimes by the word of God. Over the years, Paul became way too familiar as many abandoned the ministry. We read about it, right? You read through the New Testament, they're not with us anymore, either is so-and-so. Had they been with us, they'd still be with us, but they're gone. Paul would have been brokenhearted on every one of them. This tough Paul, who he invested lives, his life into their lives, and they wandered away. Here Paul reminds and encourages Timothy that he had been identified and supported by church leaders he knew. What a, what a glorious day. I'll bet you Roman will never forget that day. To have other church leaders there to support. How much more should we be for Roman now? Timothy is also reminded that he has a gift Get this, I love this from Paul. You have the gift of salvation, Timothy. You have the gift of preaching, the gift of teaching, and so much more. What are you doing? What are you doing, Timothy? You have all these gifts from God, and you're not using them correctly. You're beginning to think that pastors, ministers, have weighty responsibilities? Look, having had... 
a full career before I started my businesses, I always had a lot of responsibility. I was responsible for a lot of people. It was weighty. But you're talking about Jesus Christ here. Might be a little weightier than whatever you're reporting to, maybe. It's pretty serious. In their day, they didn't have Bibles or ready references. We have it so easy. I've got to tell you, it takes me a long time to get ready each Sunday. I can't imagine if I didn't have the tools that I have. But it'll take 15, 18 hours at least for me to get ready from Sunday to Sunday. We have tools. It's so much easier than what Timothy had in his day. God used faithful teachers to expand godly wisdom within the church. Now, I'm going to say that one more time. God uses faithful teachers to expand godly wisdom within the church. Listen to this. No wonder why elders then and now are required to teach. Those are the building blocks Jesus uses to build his church, and he's going to build it. Now the question is, are you on his team fully committed, or are you just comfortably along for the ride? Where do we fit in? It is by providence today when individuals are called to a particular ministry. We should all know what ministries we're called to. This shouldn't be new to any of us. If it is, start asking some of the leaders, how do I know? God opens doors for his believers. Timothy has been called to ministry, and Timothy knew it, so are you now being called to ministry to God's people? Is the door open for you? Timothy had wonderful input from Paul. Think how blessed we are to have Paul and so much more by Charles Spurgeon. Listen to this quote. You must be fitted to lead, prepared to endure, and able to persevere. This is what our ministers agree to before they take that step. This isn't like, I'm going to leave 7-Eleven and now I'm going to work at Walmart, a much bigger company. No. You're signing up. Be prepared to endure. Blood, sweat, and tears. You're going to be put in pain by the people that you're leading. As a matter of fact, ask most pastors. They are most hurt by people that they didn't realize would hurt them. We need to guard ourselves, and, it's, and there is no issue that should get to that point. Because again, where are we to go if we have an issue? Directly to the leader. Go to the leader. Let God use us as encouragers for our church leaders. Now we're at number nine, and you're going, oh boy, about time. But I still have a little bit of time. Verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourselves in them so that all may see your progress. Oh, talk about words like immerse. What I think of there is I'm thinking all in. Are you all in? Each one of us? Are we in sort of? And are our leaders all in? because of your help. We are to give serious consideration of these list of things that we're covering. Yes, personal holiness and public instruction matter. Big time. A minister and each of us are to be growing in spiritual knowledge, wisdom, and maturity. Notice I said, the minister is to be doing that, and we are to be doing that. Can you serve the church in some ways so the leaders are free to excel in other areas of responsibility for the good of the church? Let there be impact be felt where it's best for the church. Don't be upset if one of the church leaders can't visit you in the hospital. They didn't get to you. I've seen people leave churches over things like that. A minister's duties included, get this, minister's duties include, and by the way, Roman could give you a much longer list, 
is not, not limited to, but are to prepare weekly sermons. And I'm going to bet you the 15 to 18 hours that I gave you takes me to be ready each week. I bet Roman's probably learned some shortcuts, maybe, but I bet that's about what he has to do. Half his time needs to be prepared. Preaching, teaching, and conducting worship services. Interpret biblical scripture for the congregation. Provide care and counseling to church members and assist them in crisis situations. Being a minister is immersion indeed. Paul was not overstating it. And 10 of 10 of, of a 10, a spiritual gro growth that is progressing. Here's the verse. 1 Timothy 4.16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing, you will save both yourself and the hearers. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I read that, and I started thinking about it, and I thought, I knew this, but I didn't know this. Paul's closing words and motivation message is clear as he wraps up on the importance of personal holiness and public instruction. They've been identified and supported by church leaders he knew. Timothy had them. Timothy is also reminded that he had the gift of salvation, the gift of preaching, the gift of teaching, and so much more. And when you stop and realize where they are, where they are at, Paul says... Keep your salvation in line and keep those you're teaching in line. I can't take care of one. Ministers, pastors, every person that comes through this door automatically is an additional responsibility and a gift from God, whether they're here one time, half a time, All believers preserving in the faith is a sign of assurance, and it's important as we close. All believers preserving in the faith is a sign of assurance. Back to my pal, Paul Washer. I'd love to be his next-door neighbor. I'd be over there all the time. The evidence that you truly repented long ago when you said you did is because you are still repenting now and even to a greater degree. Are you still approaching our Lord meekly, asking for forgiveness? Or are you a little bit like, yeah, I'm here, Lord. Get out of my way. Let me move on. Paul Washer said here, you need to still be repenting every day. And by the way, that repentance better be stronger than it was on the day that we wrote in the front of our Bible. Because our knowledge of sin grows. Our knowledge on how we've offended God grows. And you know this whole idea that Jesus is a friend of mine? No, he is not, quote, a friend. He is the holy Lord, our Savior. And I know people say, I don't fear Jesus anymore. In many ways, I do. You know why? Because I don't give him the reverence he deserves. And I thank God for someone like Roman to remind me that I need to be. So then, the salvation of others, a high priority, a minister in his teaching... We are in our outreach with others and all of us by living a sanctified life. I've only mentioned it once. Sanctified life isn't an option. A sanctified life gives us assurance. And I don't mean a perfect life, but one that is moving toward more holiness than it was three weeks ago. I think sometimes we kind of say, once saved, always saved. And so the pressure's off. Not according to my buddy, Paul Washer. 
We do know in closing Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for you've been saved, excuse me, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of our own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And in closing, as we're thinking about how do we serve our ministers, how do we serve our elders, how do we serve each other? One more quote. J.C. Ryle said, Pride is the oldest and most common of sins. Humility is the rarest and most beautiful of graces. What is he saying? Our walk before the Lord we are to have confidence in that, but we understand it's not because I'm me. It's because for whatever reason, the Lord Jesus Christ chose us, we are saved, and now, truly, the work begins, not for salvation. The work begins for obedience and love to our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great gospel. What a great God, shall we pray. Our Father God, we are some ways humbled and some, some of these areas probably indifferent. We thank you for allowing Timothy's example and his failures to give us encouragement, but also to recommit ourselves to total obedience. Not obedience when we feel like it, not obedience when it's easy, but during the toughest times that we are obedient to you. We pray that this week that you will speak to us in one or more of these areas and that we, Lord, will respond on our knees to you for the help through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.